Well, good morning. You know, when, uh, what a fabulous introduction, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know how I can go with that, but, you know, when Rick asked me this morning how he wanted myself introduced, you know, I, I told him about being a business owner, because I really am a, I own a franchise for Chick-fil-A. So I figured if you, you knew that, you would want me to give you sandwiches today, and we can't do that on Sunday. By the, by the way, the rumor that Chick-fil-A is going to open on Sunday, it's a lie, okay? So um, there you go, there you go. So this morning we are starting our seventh week of a series titled, The House of Lies. And this morning we are going to be discussing the lie that, uh, Matt, what, what's going on? singing. Can you believe that? Well, from this morning, you might could realize we're going to be talking about money, right? So let me start by asking you a couple of questions. How many by a show of hand have ever let someone borrow some money from them? Probably most of us in the room, right? How'd that make you feel? You know, good, happy, joyful, maybe even a little worried, right? So let me ask you the second question. Those who let someone borrow some money from them, Never got that money back. Show of hands. That wasn't for me, was it? No, but, but how did that make you feel? Angry, mad, worried, maybe untrusting? Well, that's the lie that we are going to discuss this morning, the lie that we cannot trust God with our money. You know, when Rick asked me to teach this morning, I, I knew it was payback time, right? So payback for all the times... When I thought Rick was going to teach about money, I found some reason not to come to church. You know, but I I know that's bad, Rick, and I I apologize. But why do so many of us have a hard time hearing a message about money and personal finances? I mean, what are we so afraid of? Yes, God is interested in our money, but not because he needs it. It's because we need it. 
God is interested in how we secure it, how we save it, how we spend it, and how we share it. Now, some of you may immediately say, come on, Ron, don't talk about money. Talk about something spiritual. Well, that comment just shows we lack spiritual insight because nothing is more spiritual than how we handle our money. It is the supreme test of where our heart truly is. In Matthew 6, 21, we are told, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. You know, I wonder if this is the reason God gives us 500 verses about prayer in the Bible and 2,000 verses about money. God knew, didn't he? He knew. I believe much of our fear about money is just we're out of balance when it comes to our personal finances. We just don't have a clear objective on how to use our money. You know, for example, maybe your objective is to secure it all. I mean, how many of you have that as your objective? I know that was my focus for years. I was working to gain all the money I could and gain financial freedom. You know, my wife would always ask me, how much is enough? And be honest with you, I could never answer that question. But nor could John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in the world, when he was asked a similar question. He was asked, how much would it take to make you happy? And his answer was, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. How many of you would answer that question the same way this morning? Just a little bit more. Well, now maybe your objective is to save it all. You are all about save, save, save. I mean, you could teach a class on investing and saving for the future. Now, if you're this person and you're married, you are probably not very much fun. And if you're single, just get ready. Next, maybe your objective is to spend it all. Now, if you're this person, you're probably a whole lot of fun, right? Your goal may be not to have one dollar left when you die. You are all about to spend. You know, I worked in retail for 28 years, and we loved you spenders, especially you ladies. So 90% of all purchases are made by a female. So I have to ask you ladies just a couple questions. First, how can you consider shopping a hobby? Or going to the mall after a hard day and buying something you don't need? Stress relief. Now, guys, you know, you are drawn to that big orange building. Well, maybe not you, Rick, right? But, uh, you know, you go into Home Depot for a, a dollar roll of tape, and $300 later, you come out with a power tool that's going to change your life forever. And finally, maybe your objective is to share it all. Now, studies have shown that giving is very unnatural for most people. And here at FCC, we are at that norm. You know, back in August, Dana shared with us that uh, about 349 households, about over 1,000, give on a monthly basis here at FCC. Now, I'm not going to have you stand up, but if I were to, all the center would be standing. All the right-hand section would be standing. Everybody in the right-hand side of the bleachers would be standing. And half of the left side would be standing. And those standing would represent the 65% who don't give to a place they call home. Statistics also show that most people only give about 2.5% of their income to contributions. This includes tithing, you know, buying Girl Scout cookies or some type of other community organization. You know, this is one, and one other thing we find is the more money you make, the less money you tend to give. You know, this is one of the reasons Christ tells us that the rich person will have a hard time entering the kingdoms of heaven. You know, the problem with these objectives is none of them gives us a moral compass 
or a true north to help us guide us with our money. I know I've personally struggled finding that one thing in the area of sharing my money, especially around tithing. I just didn't understand what tithing is. I just felt it was part of my general giving strategy, which I promise you was no more than 1%. It included tithing, giving to the United Way, the monthly deductions uh, for the political pack I supported at work, and even the hours I volunteered. You know, I'm not saying these are bad, but tithing is defined as giving a tenth or 10% of your income to God's ministries and supporting the operations of His church. I'd like to share with you my struggles in this area of tithing. Now, some of you know a little bit about my story. I grew up very poor and disadvantaged. Everyone, including my parents, were telling me what I could not become or what I could not be, could achieve based on our financial situation. At a very young age, I made a decision that I was going to succeed. I was just living out that childhood story, the little engine that could. Y'all remember that story? You know, the smaller, weaker, less popular train was asked to take the load of toys over the mountain to the orphanage. And as that engine started facing that very steep, impossible-looking mountain, do you remember what that little engine said? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Well, I told myself, I know I can. I was going to make a father proud that I never knew. I was going to prove to my mother that I could make something out of my life. I paid my way through school and found an entry-level management position at a top Fortune 500 company, where I excelled quickly. I successfully climbed the ladder of success and became the youngest vice president in the company, where I became obsessed with money. My objective was to secure all I could and save every penny of it. I was not very much fun. I mean, just ask my wife. Now, she would probably tell you I'm still not very much fun. She's, she's agreeing. I'm very not very fun, but that's, that's for an, inf an infusion lesson, okay? So I was deducting 30% pre-tax for my paycheck for investments. My aim was to retire at age 55, and I was well on track to achieve that goal. And then at age 40, I gave my life to Christ, and my world began to change. I guess I was about six or seven months into this walk with Christ, and you know, I wanted just to know God more. I wanted to feel His love more, and I wanted to honor Him more with my life, but I had no idea how to do these things. So I went to this pastor, and I said, can you help me excel in these three areas? And he said, sure. And he gave me this continuous improvement cycle model. Now, some of you may know it just as a continuous improvement process. Well, this model is a process that goes on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And by doing certain things over and over again— can cause change through incremental or even breakthrough improvement all at once. And this is what the pastor shared with me. He said, first, if I wanted to know God more, I need to read His Word daily, because that's where I would hear Him speak to me. Second, he told me that I need to pray daily, because we are commanded to pray. Third, he told me I need to go to church every Sunday, even when Rick talked about money. Fourth, he told me if I wanted to feel his love, I need to join a small group because that's where I would see Christ. And fifth, he told me I needed to serve others because that's where I'd be the hands and feet of Christ. And I was doing these things. I was doing all five of these things with a passion. And then he shared with me point number six. 
And he said, if I wanted to honor God more, that I need to trust Him with my money. And that trust started with 10%. I said, you want me to do what? I mean, I understood what 10% meant, you know. I make a dollar, I give 10 cents. I make $100, I give $10. I make $1,000, I give 100 I make $10,000, time out. That is my money. I said, I am not going to do that. And the pastor asked, he goes, Ronnie, he goes, do you not trust God with your life? And I said, well, yes. He said, do you not trust God with your family and their well-being? I said, yes. He said, then why are you so afraid to trust God with your money? You know, Christ tells us to fear not. And I told him, I'm afraid that if I trust God with my money, God might actually take my money. And then the pastor shared with me two things I'll never forget. He first said, Ronnie, if God wants to take your money, he doesn't have to wait for your permission to have it. And second, God does not want to take control of your money. He just doesn't want your money to take control of you. And I want to repeat that because it's so important we hear this. God doesn't want to take your money. He just doesn't want it to take you. And to be honest, my money had taken me. It had taken complete control of me. The only way I measured success was by my net worth. Now, I'm very results-driven, and all these other five areas were producing great results. So I decided that I was going to try this tithing thing. So I told God, Lord, I'm going to give you 10%, but first I'm going to deduct my 30% for my investments. Then I'll give the government their cut, and then after taxes, I'll give you 10% of what's ever left. I mean, that's fair, right? Right? And then I read Proverbs 3, 9. Now, have you ever felt when you're trying to ignore God, He seems to speak to you in every verse you read? Yeah? Well, Proverbs 3, 9 says, Honor God with everything you own. Give Him the first and the best. Now, at this point in my walk, I mean, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, but I understood what this meant. This meant if I was going to honor God with my money, it needed to be for my first 10%. Before my investments, before taxes, 10% of my gross income. Man, I didn't know how I was going to do that. I had too many other things going. But I finally got to a point where I very unwillingly agreed to give God 10% of my monthly gross income. Gross income, monthly, okay? Now, my yearly bonuses, that money was going to be all mine, all right? And then I read these two verses within days apart from each other, and they really caught my attention. The first one is Luke 16, 13. It says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then I read Malachi 3, 8. And it says, Will anyone rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how are we robbing you in your tithes and offerings due to me? Now, when I put those two verses together, they, they caused me to have really a gut check moment. Because I had to ask myself this question. Was I stealing from the one I say I love? Now, I want to ask you this morning, how would you answer that question? Are you stealing from the one you say you love? And to be honest with you, I had to answer that question as yes. 
So I immediately made a decision that I was going to give God 10% of my gross income. You know, this is sad, but I remember the first time I gave a, a check to the church for one of those yearly bonuses. I mean, Steve Shelby had to kind of pry the check out of my hand. You know, I was holding it so tight. But God doesn't want us to give like that either. God wants us to give in these three ways. First, God wants us to give generously. Generous giving starts with 10%. God wants us to give cheerfully, not begrudgingly like I was giving. If we cannot give cheerfully and wholeheartedly, we shouldn't give at all. And third, God wants us to give sacrificially. God calls us to give beyond what we comfortably can afford. Now, some of you may be thinking out there, Ron, if I do these things, what will my ROI be? Everybody knows what ROI is, right? Translated return on investment, all right? I'd rather call it our BOI, blessing on investment, right? Don't you love acronyms, yeah? But these are the blessings you will receive if you give generously, cheerfully, and sacrificially. First, we'll be constantly reminded that we belong to God. Second, it teaches us to trust God. Third, it increases our contentment and joy. And fourth, it allows us to invest in eternity. You know, it took me years to understand this, and I had to learn the hard way. God took away my fancy job. You know, but not because I didn't tithe well, because I had let money take control of me. Money almost cost me my marriage, my family, my relationship with God, and my life. But God saved these areas, and He has shown me so much grace over these last few years, and I am willing to honor Him with everything I have for the rest of my life. I know like many of us, we all struggle in this area of giving, but there is hope. God's Word has something to teach us about our money. Through Scripture today, we will find the one thing to help guide you in your personal finances. This morning, we're going to be in the Old Testament. Now, the Old and New Testament teach us the same principles about wealth. Both will answer the questions the same way of how we handle our money. This morning, we will be in 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 14. Now, if you have a Bible, good luck finding it, all right? But uh, it's between 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. That probably didn't help a lot either, right? And if you got a Bible from the back, it's on page 332. As you're looking for it, let me just kind of give you a recap of Chronicles. Chronicles is a history story of the Old Testament. The words that we will be reading today are over 3,000 years old. The end of First Chronicle is about King David. And we all know who King David was, right? He was a boy who killed a giant with a stone. He was a courageous warrior. He was a king of Israel. And he was a man after God's own heart. The story finds David in a great place in life. All the battles were over. All his enemies had been defeated. And Israel was finally at peace. We also read that David had accumulated great wealth. And he was living in this great palace. And we have a drawing of that palace. You know, one day when David was standing out and looking over his kingdom, he realized that the God that he loved so much was still living in a tent. So he decided that he was going to build God a temple. But God spoke to him and told him that he had too much blood on his hands from war and murder, and he couldn't allow him to do this. You know, but he would allow his son Solomon, the future king of Israel, to build his house. And David was okay with this. But David decided that he would make all the arrangements needed 
so Solomon would be placed with no roadblocks. So we read that he drew up the plans, he hired the architects, uh, he set aside money from the, nation's, the national treasury. He went into his personal treasure chest and set aside tens and thousands of dollars for this project. Historians would estimate that David gave $14 billion in his personal wealth based on today's time. And then what we see is David pulled all the people together, and he invited them to take part in this vision, explaining to them that many of them, if not all of them, would be dead before this temple was completed. And Scripture says that the people rejoiced and gave generously to the Lord. And then we hear David pray. Now, in this prayer, you're going to get insight to how David views wealth, how God views wealth, and how Christ would view and teach about wealth a thousand years later. Here's David's prayer. 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 11. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. So what words stand out to you in that verse? They're, they're highlighted, all right? So it's yours. So what was David saying? David was saying, God, this is not about me. This is all about you. Everything I own belongs to you. Nothing is mine. So our homes, our cars, our businesses, you know, our checking, saving, investment accounts, they all belong to God. So our first point this morning is everything belongs to God. Next we read 1 Chronicles 29, 12. Wealth and honor come from you alone. So all our wealth comes from God. So all the money that we have has been given to us by God. For you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand. And at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. So at God's discretion, we are made great and given strength. So this is telling us our abilities, our accomplishments, our achievements, our entrepreneurship, our ideas, our tenacity, our passion, all comes from God. But wait a minute. Time out, right? I worked hard to get where I'm at today. You know, I worked all those long hours. I paid my way through school. I came up with all those ideas. I fought for every step I took on that ladder of success. I made my future happen. But this verse is telling us that all our accomplishments and our success comes from God. So our second point this morning is everything comes from God. And finally, we read 1 Chronicles 29, 13 through 14. O oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Now, this next part, I feel, summarizes the entire verse. And if you can just accept what we are about to read, it can become so disarming how you feel about your money. Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. So did you hear that, right? Everything we have comes from God. So all the money we have has been given to us by God. So when God asks for some of that money back, 
we're only giving him what he first gave us in the first place. Isn't that liberating? Thank you. Our third point is everything has been given to us from God. So if everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, everything has been given to us from God, what is the one thing that should help guide us in how we handle our money based on these verses? Are you ready for the one thing? Yeah. The one thing is we need to honor God. We honor God because everything belongs to God. We honor God because everything comes from God. And we honor God because everything has been given to us from God. We simply must honor Him with everything we have. So every time you are faced with a decision on how you should use that money that God gave you, use honoring God as your filter to help you make those decisions. For example, was, was I honoring God when I gave Him 10% of my net income? No, right? Or did I honor Him when I gave Him 10% of my total gross income? We know that the second answer, the second one is the correct answer, right? You know, I know we've been discussing tithing this morning, but this message is more about more than 10%. It's about honoring God. You know, God does not think about us honoring Him with a percentage. Remember, everything belongs to Him, comes from Him, and is given to us from Him. God expects, expects us to honor Him with 100% of everything we have. Let's try this. By a show of hands, how many of you are married? Just quite a few of you, right? So in your marriage vows, you pledge to love, honor, and cherish your spouse until death do you part. You all remember saying that, right? Shake your heads north and south, right? So does your spouse expect you to honor them with 10% or 100%? So I'm going to get a little personal. So I'm glad that you said that, 100%, right? So I'm going to get a little personal and use my wife as an example. So guys, I'm trying to protect you, so I'm going to take one for the team, all right? So... So if I go to my wife and I go, Becky, you know, I love you so much. You know, I love you, and I'm going to be willing to give you 10% of my time. What do you think she would say or do to me? I promise you it has not been nice because she expects and deserves 100% of me. And so does God. The other way we honor God is by being obedient to his word. In James 1.22, we are told, do not merely listen to his word, but do what they say. You know, sometimes God is going to ask you to do things you just don't understand. And the only way to understand is to do them. You know, we have to understand and get to a point where we realize God does not want to take something from us. But God wants to give something to us. And this is obvious. Since 2,000 years ago, God sent His only begotten Son to this earth, not to get something from us, but to give something to us. Christ gave up His life for our sins, and He defeated death to give us hope for eternal life. You know, we just have to get to a place in our life where we can surrender and trust God with all of these. And it can't be when God asks for you for some of this money, you quickly close your fist and say, hey, wait a minute, sticky fingers. I'll give you a couple bucks, but the rest is mine. You know, have you ever read what's on the back, written on the back of money? It says, in God we trust. And when you can trust him with all of this, you are showing God where the treasure of your heart really is. 
I'd like to make all of you a challenge this morning. In your program, there's this insert that looks like money. Now, now, don't go use this at Moreno's today for lunch, right? Because I hate for Steve Shelby to come out to get you out of jail. But in the corners of it is a 10%. And that's just our reminder of our commitment to tithing. In the center of it is a cross with these two words, honor God, honor God. You know, I ask you to put this in your wallet, put it in your purse, put it on the refrigerator, put it somewhere you can see it and remind yourself daily how to honor God with your money. On the back side, there are several verses with the first one being in bold, which would also be in the card on your chair, is Proverbs 3, 9. Honor God with everything you own. Give Him your first and the best. I would challenge you to read the remaining of these verses throughout this week, asking yourself these three questions. Lord, what do you want me to know? How do you want me to feel? And most importantly, what do you want me to do? Are you willing to honor God? Will you open up your hand and make it all available to Him, starting with 10%? Where else can you invest $10 and get back 90 There is no bank or investment firm that can give you that type of return. You will never know whether or not giving works for you until you try it. And if you are trying it, extend that try to giving more generously and sacrificially. I mean, God is calling out to us to to take a leap of faith in this area of giving. Christ is asking you, just trust me with your money. And let me show you how I can bless your lives. And you can bless the lives of others by investing with me in eternity. I'd like to thank those of you here personally who've impacted my life because of your investment. Because of you on a catalyst weekend. My son gave his life to Christ. Yeah, thank you. And my daughter was able to forgive herself finally and recommit herself to God. But that impact doesn't stop with my family. Over 698 men and women have attended a Catalyst Weekend where they have felt the love of Christ and their lives have been radically changed. Because of you and supporting small group, My marriage was saved. And your investment has impacted over 700 men, women, couples, and students who have found vibrant community and are growing more like Christ every day. And because of you, and this church was built. And on May 2004, on that Sunday, my eternal address was changed forever was changed forever. And I am just one since 1998 of 1,200 who have given their lives to Christ here at FCC. I mean, we were lost, but now we are found because you, you chose to invest with God in eternity. Let me show you this quick video why giving is so important.
the church is the hope of the world. And we are the church. And as a church, we are called to ensure the gospel is being preached. The hungry are being fed. The lonely find community. And the lost are found. And we can't, the church cannot do this. Our church here at FCC cannot do those things unless we are all willing to honor God with everything we have and invest with Him in eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, You are our most awesome God. Lord, everything belongs to You, everything comes from You, and everything is given to us by You. Lord, liberate us in the struggles that so many of us have in this area of giving. Let us all just be reminded that we are only giving you back what you first gave us. Lord, let us remember everything that you have done for our lives. Let us remember all the miracles that we have witnessed because this church was built. And most importantly, let us remember the cost that your son paid for all of our lives on the cross. Lord, we thank you for not wanting to take something from us, but to give something to us. And that something is eternal life. Lord, we honor you by taking in part in investing in your kingdom where the lives of people matter most. We pray this in your precious son's name and all God's children said.